SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. morning after on sports grid thanks for tuning in on sirius xm channel 204 with ben stevens i'm ariel epstein this hour we'll give you our major league baseball picks nfl preseason picks for week two starts tonight so we will give you some insight into that game between the patriots and the eagles lastly we're going to be joined by mark zinno who's from here on sports grid he's an sec handicapper we'll talk college football as well First, it's our West Coast wake-up. Yesterday, the Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 9-0. The Dodgers cash in at minus 335 on the money line. The total was 8.5. It goes over with just the Dodgers alone. The Dodgers infielder Max Muncy had himself a day. He goes 2-for-3 with 5 RBI. That's not what stood out, though. He's had four home runs in four games, Ben. He has been absolutely incredible, has Max Muncy, for the L.A. Dodgers right now. And the Dodgers are scorching hot. The Dodgers have won six straight games currently and made up a little bit of ground on the Giants in the National League West. They are now only three games back. But Max Muncy, two home runs last night in a 9-0 blowout of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Two of those home runs, part of four home runs, eight of the nine runs scored by the Dodgers last night came via the long ball. So the Dodgers, with the best run differential in all of Major League Baseball, continuing to add it up against the Pirates last night, a sweep of Pittsburgh, and again, making a little bit of headway in the NL West. But Ariel, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter from a perspective of you want to win the NL West division as to not have to play in that one-game wildcard scenario. But the Dodgers are going to be firmly in the playoffs. They have a nine-game lead in that top spot of the NL wildcard. A current nine-game lead over the Padres, who sit in second, who have a one-and-a-half-game lead against the Cincinnati Reds. You know, with the Dodgers back and the Padres back, I mean, the Padres way back there at 12 games, but for that, the division. Now you look to the wild card again. I wish that we had these to make the playoff odds. To make the playoff mm. odds would be so intriguing right now between the Reds and the Padres. As for the Dodgers, it's very weird to see two teams in a division being in minus money to win it. I don't know if I've seen that happen. We see a lot of the times where two, every team's in plus money. To see two teams in the minus, Again, it just tells you how confident the sports books are in the Dodgers getting a, having a strong finish to the season. Even look to this. The Los Angeles Dodgers reliever yesterday, Mitch White, he's the first Dodgers pitcher, the first Dodgers reliever, excuse me, to go just over seven innings pitch since Ed Robach on June 24, 1960. Seven scoreless innings pitch. I mean, he has been one of the top-notch relief pitchers for the Dodgers this year. And, Ben, seeing this kind of hot streak, not only from your offense but from your defense, from your pitching, it's showing you why the Dodgers and why the sports books are having a hard time to come off the Dodgers. 
Yeah, it is so interesting to see that because the sports books want to limit their liability on L.A. right now, given how hot Los Angeles is and still some head to head matchups against the Giants waiting here down the home stretch of this Major League Baseball season. Just about 40 plus games left so far throughout this MLB campaign. And when you look at the Dodgers and the Giants in the National League pennant race, the Dodgers, the favorites at plus 160, the Giants, the second shortest odds at plus 340. We are talking about the two teams, Ariel, in all of Major League Baseball with the two best records. The Giants first, the Dodgers second. Not just the NL West, not just the National League, all of Major League Baseball. So we have two very competitive sides as we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here to the third and final hour of the morning after. It's happy hour here. It is Sirius XM Channel 204, the mightier 1090 out on the West Coast. Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein recapping the late night West Coast action during our West Coast wake up and talking about the Dodgers and the Giants in a battle for that top spot of the National League West. So the Dodgers winning yesterday against the Pirates, sweeping the Buccos, six straight wins for the Dodgers. The Giants also playing pretty well as of late, but falling in extras to the Mets yesterday. So now just a three-game difference between the two teams. San Francisco in that lead, the favorite right now on FanDuel at minus 125, but the Dodgers also in minus money category at minus 110. It's going to be a race to the finish in that National League West. However, when it comes to the National League in general, it's the hard part is that if you have the Padres in there in a one-game wild card against the Dodgers, the Padres have been better against the Dodgers this year than the Dodgers have been facing the Padres. One game is all it takes. If I'm the Dodgers, I'm throwing Max Scherzer right out there on the mound for the Dodgers in a winner-take-all elimination game. And then you have to go face the Giants. And the National League West, if there's someone who wins the National League outside the National League West, I would be shocked. Wouldn't you, Ben? I would be at this point because the Giants seem like they are sustainable. Even when you get to the postseason, I don't think that stage is going to be too big for them, especially because of the veteran presence on that Giants roster with Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt having career renaissances. And then you look at Buster Posey leading the way for this Giants team. So I think the postseason will not be too big of a stage for the San Francisco Giants. I think the Brewers are good contenders. They have the third shortest odds to win the National League pennant at plus 380. Their starting staff is incredible. The back end of their bullpen is great. The offense has been a lot better here in the second half of the season. But I still think it's going to be very hard against that Dodgers lineup in that Dodgers starting rotation in the postseason to knock out L.A. in a one-game wildcard scenario or a DS or CS series. The Dodgers are absolutely stacked and playing their best baseball of the year at the moment. Yeah, that's what they say about 162-game seasons. They are very long. The National League East, who knows who's going to come out of that division. I like to compare them a lot to the NFC East and the NFL. You just don't know who's going to win it. It's the best of the worst. And tonight, we're going to see that. The Philadelphia Eagles are in action, and we're going to talk about their preseason game against the New England Patriots coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
on the morning after on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Time to talk NFL preseason week two. It kicks off tonight with the New England Patriots on the road at the Philadelphia Eagles. This line moved from Patriots minus two and a half against New England to minus one and a half. Mm. The total, not much movement. 38 and a half drops down to 38. The Eagles are coming off a 24-16 loss to the Steelers. The Patriots coming off a 22-13 win over Washington. Ben, where do you lean in this game? I'm looking at the Patriots tonight. And here's why I'm saying I'm looking at the Pats. Although there has been some line movement against New England. Like you mentioned, two and a half to one and a half. You look at the money line. It's minus 125 in favor of New England tonight. It opened at minus 135. So about 10 cents of small movement there as well. But I'm looking at New England for two reasons. I think we can expect to see, although Bill Belichick doesn't reveal a lot ever, whether it's regular season or preseason, a decent amount of the starters tonight. I think Cam Newton will play about a quarter, if that, but then I think we will see a lot of Mac Jones. And Mac Jones looked very efficient in his first week of preseason action. 13 of 19, 87 yards. Cam, by the way, was four of seven for 49 yards. So I like seeing a lot of Mac Jones. And here's why I say the starters are very important. We know New England has one of the best defenses in all of the NFL. If those starters on the defensive side of the ball are playing for a good majority of the first half, I think the favor is to the New England Patriots. We have Jalen Hurts probably playing a good majority of that first half as well tonight. Jalen in his preseason debut this year uh, against Pittsburgh last week, 3 of 7, 54 yards. Really, the highlight was Joe Flacco, 10 of 17, 178 yards in a touchdown. That touchdown pass, by the way, was an absolute missile on a screen to Quez Watkins, who did the rest and took it 79 yards. The pass was actually behind the line of scrimmage, but I digress. So I think the favor is to New England tonight because I think they have the better defense going up against a young quarterback in Jalen Hurts who might play a good amount in that first half. So I lean New England's side, and I feel pretty confident about New England's side. Could that be my best bet of the day? How would I factor in just laying the points of one and a half or maybe just minus 125 for a straight-up win on the money line? That's what I'm trying to decipher right now. I'm still going with the under in this game. Even if you look to what New England has done in week one of the preseason, it was 15-7 New England against Washington with just under two minutes to go in that game. It became 22-13. However, it's always going to be ground and pound. The Patriots, especially even with Tom Brady at quarterback, the Patriots, they tried to keep games low scoring. They relied on the defense. All the offense had to do was carve up wins with the ground game. That's what they're going to do again, especially in the preseason. You're going to have Cam Newton at quarterback for the first few series. He's probably going to help run the ball. Then you're going to pass it along to Mac Jones. This team doesn't need to pass the ball all over the field. They're just going to try to get ahead with their defense, keeping the others had low scoring. You're going to start the game with Philly with Jalen Hurts. Once he leaves, you're going to Joe Flacco. Love Flacco. Got me a Super Bowl. Love him. He's still Joe Flacco, and I'm not so sure that offensive production is his thing. So the Patriots, probably without their tight ends, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, likely not playing in this game. Philly only ran for 52 yards last week against Pittsburgh. Between all those offensive players not being out there on the field for either team, between this ground-and-pound game for the Patriots and the Patriots relying solely on defense, I'm saying under is the play here of 38, Ben. I like it. And the total has come down by the hook. And when you look at that 38, again, the idea was when you looked at preseason week number one, 
13 of the 16 games going under. The average score over those 16 games, 31.9 points per game. If you follow those trends into week two, you see a total of 38 with the over-under coming down by a hook. You would lean the under, certainly. And again, we're talking about two teams here that if we are going to see starters for a good majority of this game, it might look a little bit more like we have seen in regular seasons past. And if you go to this past year in 2020, New England had the second highest under percentage in the NFL at 68.8%. Philly tied for the seventh highest under percentage at more than 56%. So two teams that played a good majority of their games last year to the under. And if we are seeing the starters out there, especially on the defensive side of the ball tonight against some unproven quarterbacks, then yes, I think the under is the right call as well. It's where I lean, a, a place I would really lean, and we'll see if FanDuel puts this out there. Heading into the weekend last week, by the time we got to the games on Saturday, especially in the afternoon and early evening portion, FanDuel started giving you some first half totals. Nothing posted as of right now for New England and I'm blanking. Who are they playing? The Patriots and the Eagles. Eagles. Wow, just had a full-blown brain freeze there. The Patriots and the Eagles tonight. Nothing posted yet for that first half total. But that being said, if by the time we get to game later this evening and kick around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, there might be a first half total there. If the starters are going to be there in the first half and defense wins the day, maybe look to a first half under as well. I'm not sure we're going to get it because it didn't happen until Saturday of this past week that FanDuel posted those first half totals. So maybe they are doing their due diligence, waiting to see how week two looks a little bit before giving you those first half total numbers. But if there is one, maybe the first half under could compel you with the starters in there for a good majority of the first two quarters. We always love to give you the edge. So a few more updates in case you wanted to place any earlier preseason bets. The Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur said that it's probably unlikely that Jordan Love will play on Saturday against the Jets. That's because of his shoulder injury. It likely means Kurt Bankert will start. Jake Delaga. I did this before. Dolagala, he's re-signed yesterday and would be the only other quarterback available to play for Green Bay. Then when it comes to the Packers this weekend and no Jordan Love, how much hope would you have in Green Bay? I'm going to go see what the Packers line is right now before I give you any thoughts. They're taking on the Jets. The Jets two and a half. We talked about this game, did we not, just a few days ago? And the Jets were only favored by about one, one and a half, if I'm not mistaken. And I said the early lean would be to New York. Let me go check these numbers to make sure we have them correct and we are not leading our viewers and it our audience astray. I click- it opened with Packers yeah, minus three and a half, and now it's flipped Ooh. to Packers plus two and a half. I love that. Okay, that is really good. And what we say about the line movement here, despite flipping sides and going past zero, is not something I'm necessarily scared by. So we don't have a great quarterback room for the Green Bay Packers. We do have Zach Wilson probably playing a good majority of that first half, if not more, into the third quarter in this preseason week number two. So when you see the two and a half, Maybe you missed your best number. In fact, you might have if you wanted to take the Jets. But I don't think the number is too far out there that you still don't have value on it. The total is at 34. The Jets won their week one opener in the preseason against their in-state foes in the Giants. 12-7. to 7. 19 total points. So this exciting. one at 34. The Packers, even with Jordan Love, only scored seven points. I know the total is down there at 34. I believe the smallest total we have on the board all week two of the preseason it is by a hook as according to that Niners-Chargers game on Sunday. So when you see that 34, you might question where the points are going to be. I wish 
FanDuel were to give us team totals, I would take the under on the Packers. The Jets might put up points against this Packers defense if Zach Wilson is going to be out there for a lot of this game. But I think you still lean with the Jets right now. Jets minus two and a half. Just because we have a very different scenario playing out in the regular season, do not let the names on paper daunt you. This is preseason football. You can find some edges in preseason. You might not take in the regular season. Ergo the Texans. Ergo the Jaguars. There are some edges to have in the preseason that completely flip by the time we get to regular season week number one. One last note, it just really hurt me. Uh, the tight end for the Ravens, Mark Andrews, apparently collapsed on the sidelines, needed an IV, got taken away in an ambulance. John Harbaugh said afterwards that he's been cramping. It was a scary sight, according to reporters for the Baltimore Ravens. Hopefully he's okay. I just, I'm, I can't do this anymore. Ravens players continue to trend on my Twitter page, and every time mm. it's bad news. Can't we have something good? When other teams are trending on Twitter, it's some highlight play that was thrown at practice, and then I click the Ravens trending, and it's another receiver down, another tight end down, another defensive player down. Make it stop. Make it stop. Okay, we're going to break. I'll recover. We're going to Major League Baseball. Stay here on SiriusXM Channel 204. Major League Baseball board, strikeout props, early leans of the day, all coming up next. We're here until noon Eastern time on the grid, and we're going to talk college football a little bit later this hour with SEC handicapper Mark Zinno. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid, it's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to our Major League Baseball cap, so we're going to go over to the props market. It's time for K Props. I'm starting with a very intriguing game. In fact, this strikeout prop intrigues me too because it seems a little too low. The starter for the Philadelphia Phillies today is Zach Wheeler. Arizona has the ninth highest strikeout rate in baseball, striking out just over 24% of the time. They have the fifth highest strikeout rate uh, in the second half of the season and fourth highest strikeout rate in August, Arizona does. When you've got Zach Wheeler on the mound, who's averaging just over eight strikeouts per game against teams with a top 10K rate against right-handed pitchers, you're giving me a six and a half with plus 100 to the over. Seems too good to be true. I've seen this happen with Wheeler before, where the book has given us a really fair number because for whatever reason, they feel like he's not going to get these many strikeouts, and he does. Wheeler also has a 147 ERA in nine day starts. This is a 3.40 p.m. Eastern time game. You can I would consider it a day game just because, one, you're out there on the West Coast, and two, you don't have to... Um, you, you have to get ready a lot earlier in the day. So even though you're in a dome and even though it's not like the weather and the outside sun and et cetera is playing a factor, 
to me, when you've got Wheeler who has to prepare earlier in the day, pitchers are creatures of habit. Day starts and how that ERA is affected by a day start does matter to me. With Wheeler having a good ERA in nine day starts with a 147, plus averaging just over eight strikeouts per game against top 10 K rate teams with, uh, against righties, I'm going to say that Wheeler goes over six and a half for his strikeout prop then. It's the first strikeout prop that stood out to me as well. My same thought was only a six and a half, and it's not like plus money anywhere. I mean, it's just pretty even. It was minus 108 to the over, minus 118 to the under. I was pretty confused by that. We're talking about Zach Wheeler, who is the NL Cy Young favorite right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook at plus 185. He has the most strikeouts overall in total in all of Major League Baseball this year with 187, the 13th best K per nine inning rate in all of Major League Baseball this year as well. The Diamondbacks, like you mentioned, the third highest K rate against right-handed pitching since the all or in the last two weeks, rather, at 28.7%. So I think Zach Wheeler is very likely to go over this number just based on that handicap of six and a half. But when you look at that number of six and a half, he has only gone over that in four of his last eight starts and only once in his last four road starts. So Something to keep in mind as you approach this. But again, the number seems a little bit too easy there on Zach Wheeler. So I would lean the over, certainly, in this game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Shout out to our producer, Jack Weinberger, as well. He gave me this outstanding handicap, Ariel, for this game from a side perspective between this. the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. He gave this to me last night when the D-backs opened up as a plus 184 favorite with Madison Bumgarner on the bump against Zach Wheeler today. They is now down to plus 162. So the line working in the favor of Jack's handicap. But here is the handicap of our very, very smart Jack Weinberger. It is this. It is National Photography Day. The Grand Canyon is the most photographed place in all of the United States. Thus, he said to me, hammer the D-backs with that plus money price. My only concern about Madison Bumgarner is if you look at his ERA in six day starts, he has a 6 2 1. He goes one and two. I don't know, Jack. I don't trust Bumgarner here, even though he's been really, he's been a lot better of late. Bumgarner in day starts is a little freaky to me. And that's why, even though, yeah, I could see your side. If anything, I would bet a first five under here. First five under sounds intriguing, considering you look at how the Jack? Phillies have been hitting lately. The Phillies haven't been hitting that well. I would more so rely on the Phillies' bats not hitting, more so than trusting Madison Baumgartner to go deep and to see if this Arizona team could have its bullpen even come in in, what, the sixth, seventh inning and then have to save the day. Eh, both these teams are shaky when it gets to late, later in the games. Another strikeout prop that stood out to me, it's in this Milwaukee and St. Louis game. Milwaukee, even though they have the seventh highest strikeout rate in baseball overall this year, you looked at the second half of the season, they had the third lowest K rate in the second half, just over 20% is what they're striking out at. When it comes to the month of August, that number even goes down to 17.5% for a strikeout rate. That ranks second lowest in Major League Baseball. The Brewers haven't been striking out as often as they did in the first half. St. Louis has a lefty John Lester on the mound, who doesn't strike out batters that often anyway. Lester's strikeout props, 3.5. I saw it last juiced to minus 142. It might have been juiced up even more. I would have taken the minus 142 anything past minus 150 i don't usually like to take on a on a k prop however if you can find a decent number i would still take an under on lester ben 
I'm also looking to another K prop in another game featuring a team from the NL Central. It's the Cincinnati Reds against the Miami Marlins today. Craig Mish was on earlier saying how compelling this series is for the Reds in terms of that race for the second and final NL wild card spot. They are a game and a half back of San Diego. The Padres have lost three straight. Uh, seven of their last 10. The Reds also have struggled a little bit, but still only one and a half games back and they get the Miami Marlins today. And when you look at the Marlins, a top 10 K rate versus right-handed pitching all year long. And when you look at the Marlins in the last two weeks, the sixth highest K rate against right-handed pitching at 26.5%. Now, Luis Castillo is the starter for the Reds today against the Marlins. His strikeout prop the number is a tad high for me. It's seven and a half. The under is minus 146. The over has the plus money. Now, seven and a half is an intriguing number because Luis Castillo has gone over that number in four of his last six starts. And Luis Castillo might be the most intriguing starting pitcher in all of Major League Baseball this year. He was god awful the first two months of the year. In April, a 6.29 ERA. In May, an 8.04 ERA. He made six starts in the month of May and lost every single one of them. But then he bounced back in a big way in June. A 1.71 ERA. A 2.15 ERA in July. So far in the month of August, a 6.75 ERA. And he has lost his last two starts. In fact, two starts ago against the Cleveland Indians, he gave up eight earned runs and then gave up three earned runs in his most recent start on the road against Philadelphia. So Luis Castillo is about, is about as up and down as you will find in a starting pitcher so far throughout this Major League Baseball season. The number at seven and a half is intriguing, especially with plus money to the over, seeing as he's gone over this number in four of his last six starts. But what Luis Castillo will we see today against the Miami Marlins? That's always the question. Which player, which side of him? Is he going to be good? Is it a good or a bad day? Those are the toughest pitchers to have to bet on. Here's an offense that's been pretty consistent, the Tampa Bay Rays, when they faced the Baltimore mm -hmm. Orioles. I am concerned about this number, however. The Rays team total is 5.5 on FanDuel. This game's at 1 o'clock Eastern time in Tampa. It's the final game of this four-game series. In this series, the Rays haven't scored less than eight runs. Overall this year... The Rays are averaging just over eight runs per game against Baltimore. The starting pitcher for the Orioles is right-hander Jorge Lopez. Lopez has a 7.50 ERA in day games, a 6.71 road ERA. Why is this total sitting at five and a half for the team total on the Rays, Ben? I just don't get it. I don't understand it either. It wasn't posted earlier this morning. You told me five and a half. I thought they were going to adjust a little bit. Maybe give us a six or even a six and a half is really in the ballpark of what this could be. Like you mentioned, the last six games against the Baltimore Orioles for Tampa, they are averaging 9.7 runs. They have scored nine runs twice, 10 runs twice, 12 runs, and then eight runs yesterday. All of those would have been over this number, of course, of five and a half. Tampa has the second highest over percentage in all of Major League Baseball this year, 57.6%. It drops a little bit at home, but still a majority of their games going to the over at home at near 51%. And in the last, or since the All-Star break, I should say, they have the highest WRC plus in all of Major League Baseball against right-handed pitchers, which is what Jorge Lopez is. And he has a 6-1-4 ERA this year. So I really do not understand why this team total is just at a five and a half. It almost seems too easy, and that might even scare me off a little bit. But you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, whether it's been at the Trop or whether it's been in Baltimore, Camden Yards, they have put up a ton, a ton of runs 
against the Orioles, of course the lean would have to be to the five and a half. I would not take the under, conversely. If anything, I might just stay away because it feels too easy. Sometimes if it's too easy, it really is. Yeah, that's what's so difficult. We also looked up before, maybe the Rays weren't as good in day games. No, that's not the case. The Rays in the last 30 days have the second highest OPS in baseball in day games. Across the entire season, the Rays have the fifth best OPS in day games. It just all seems so fishy. Another team total I was looking at was the New York Yankees, and here's why this Rays one is fishy too. The Yankees team total is six against the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees are at home, and in second half home total, the Yankees are only averaging just under five runs per game. Against Minnesota this year, the Yankees have scored nine, eight, and five runs. Yet their team totals at six. The Rays are at five and a half, and they're averaging over eight runs per game against the Orioles all year, and that's a larger sample size. They've had like 11 or 15 games, whatever it is. They've had over 10 games, well over 10 games against the Orioles the Rays have, and the Yankees have only played three games against Minnesota. Yet here we are, and the team total is sitting at six for the Yankees, which that one just seems a little too high for me, Ben. It certainly does. The Yankees have the highest under percentage in all of Major League Baseball overall this year at more than 57%. It doesn't get that much better at home when you look at the Yankees as well. 56% of their games inside Yankee Stadium trending to the under. Now, I know Minnesota has the highest over percentage, and a lot of that actually comes away from the Twin Cities, but still, at six, it seems a little bit too inflated for me on the Yankees today. Yeah, that one seems a little rough. So I'm still trying to figure out what my best bet's going to be because the two bets that I do really like the most, well, actually three, one is too juiced to the under. The other two just seem too fishy. I might just need fishy line segments to come back and just tell myself to fade it all. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Mark Zinno. We're going to break down college football and the SEC. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Our final guest today, Mark Zeno from here on Sports Grid, going to break down college football and the SEC. Mark, thanks for coming on with us today. Always a pleasure, Ariel. Good to see you. Uh, it looks like we're having some internet technical difficulties. It was uh, cutting out a little bit, so maybe we could get Mark to restart uh, his studio his little home studio setup okay i think we got him back mark when it comes to the sec we were talking about this in the second hour of our show week one georgia clemson this game is going to be a must watch event for any college football fan i see clemson having a little bit of an advantage considering they've played there for four straight acc championship titles that they have come away with how much of a home field advantage do you see this neutral site at bank of america stadium for clemson well, I'll say this much about Georgia fans. They travel really, really well. I mean, when they went to Notre Dame a couple of years ago, they packed the hell out of that building. Uh, they're not afraid to move. In reality, Charlotte's only about a three- or four-hour drive. 
if the ticket disbursement is 50-50, as it usually is in these neutral site games, you'll see plenty of red there. What scares me about this game more than anything is the rash of injuries that Georgia has had as of late. You know, that three-and-a-half line that it opened at, I really was salivating at taking the dogs in this matchup. But losing uh, two of their major starters on defense and a rash of injuries that they've had over the course of the last week is really starting to scare me uh, off the game in general and off Georgia in particular because uh, you just don't know. I mean, look, it's the first week of the season, and clearly these coaches are both going to game plan the hell out of this because it's against a matchup that really helped them decide whether either one of these teams is a college football playoff team if they falter somewhere else. So this game has a lot of implications for the entire season, and I truly believe that the winner of this game is going to have an easier path to the college football playoff as opposed to the loser. So Georgia being banged up at this point in time really scaring me as a Bulldog better. So, Mark, Georgia has the second shortest odds to win the SEC championship outright at plus 190 behind, of course, the favorite, Alabama, who is minus 160. But both the Tide and the Dogs, minus 450 to win their respective divisions. Let's focus on Georgia, who is minus 450 to win the SEC West. In that SEC West, who do you think is Georgia's biggest competition? Georgia, their biggest competition typically would be Florida. But this is a team that's going through a quarterback transition. I mean, look, I think Dan Mullen is a heck of a schemer and a heck of a play caller offensively. I think their defense leaves a little bit to be desired. But if you look at the chasm, you know, between Georgia as a favorite at minus 450 and Florida at plus 500 on the FanDuel Sportsbook, they're telling you there's a big gap between those two teams. Um, and, And I don't know that short of Georgia heading into the cocktail party in late October against Florida just playing a complete stinker and JT Daniels not playing well I don't see Florida being able to keep up with them, especially if Georgia is healthy at that point in time. So the only real competition for Georgia is Florida. Missouri may make some noise, uh, you know, as far as a team that offensively will be able to score. But I think defensively they're going to be lacking. Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, not really players in the SEC for Georgia as far as their side of the division is concerned. Mark, when it comes to the SEC, so much juice to the favorites. However, the win totals are a place where people can go and find some value. Who would you be betting an over on for a win total in the SEC? I was so hoping you were going to ask me this question. The last time I was on with you guys, I told you that my my center around the SEC is death taxes and Ole Miss overs. Well, I love Ole Miss over seven and a half wins. Take a look at their schedule, guys. Look, they're in the SEC West, so they're going to play a gauntlet of teams. Right now, as it stands, they get top-ranked Alabama, 16th-ranked LSU, and 6th-ranked Texas A&M. Forget the fact that road home for those teams really isn't going to matter. Those teams are probably pretty decidedly better than uh, Ole Miss is at this point, if you count those as three losses. The other SEC West team they'll face is Auburn. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that is their fourth loss. You look at the other eight opponents, there's literally no reason why they shouldn't be able to boat race all eight of those teams. The only team that may give them at least a little bit of a scratch is having to travel to Knoxville and play Tennessee. But again, Tennessee isn't very good. So from that standpoint, the eight wins for Ole Miss. And if Lane Kiffin can steal one from somebody in the SEC West, not Bamman maybe, but maybe LSU, maybe Auburn, maybe A&M, this is an easy over for me uh, in the SEC West. Ole Miss seven and a half wins over is the play. I mentioned Georgia in the SEC West. I believe I said, of course, Georgia playing in the SEC East. They are minus 450 to win that division on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So let's dive even deeper into the SEC East. You said some of the competition for Georgia. You talked team win totals there, Mark, for Ole Miss. 
I think my favorite team win total in all the SEC resides in that SEC East division, and it's Kentucky. What do you make of the Wildcats entering the 2021 college football campaign? It's a long, long road for Mark Stoops and company uh, in in Lexington. I I don't know how much confidence I have in them uh, as far as their offense is concerned, just simply because they're also in a state of transition. They've also had a lot of turnover, and and their best players have have sort of moved on um, from them. But again, this is not a – an incredibly tough schedule. They'll have a gauntlet in the middle of Florida, LSU, and Georgia, all in, in the span of three weeks uh, in, the, in the beginning of October. It's really important for them to get early wins against UL Monroe, Chattanooga. You know, if they can go beat a South Carolina team that's also sort of in the rebuild mode, you know, and then get a win against a team like Louisville, who's not very good defensively, they may have a shot easily to exceed their win total. I just, at this point in time, it's one of those things, Ben, where I have to see a little bit from this team before I know what they're going to be. Anytime you have a state of transition, the way Kentucky is going through it, I, I struggle to try to make a win total bet just because I, I don't really have a data point. I don't have sample sizes to go off of at this point in time. I don't disagree with where your head is, given the schedule that they play. And in the SEC East, they're going to be able to probably take on some opponents that they're they're comparable with from a talent standpoint. That said, though, uh, I probably need a little bit more, but I agree with the the process and where your head is with the logic. Speaking of bottom-tier SEC teams, let's continue with the pessimism. Mark Zeno here talking SEC football. Who would you take an under on for a win total, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you look at, like, the high win total teams, um, like the Georgias and the Alabamas, to get to 11 wins. Um, They would need to trip up. I mean, if you're taking an under on Georgia, you're you're hoping that they lose the first one. Uh, because that said, uh, there's another game somewhere else that they could get tripped up. But I, I don't really know that uh, a team like Florida um, can make their win total. Uh, with the transition at quarterback and where they are at this point in time, again, I think the world of Dan Mullen is a play caller. But defensively, they're not very good. Um, they don't have a lot of weapons on offense at this point in time. And, and the quarterback being in a state of transition, Florida is a team to me that I think will have a down year and they'll fall under their win total. I completely agree, Mark. They lost so much talent on the outside with guys like Kadarius Tony, of course, Kyle Pitts going to the NFL. And Mark, when you came on the show last week, you did a wonderful job being a bookmaker. And you set a line for baseball for the NL East and how many games that division might win in the postseason. You set the line at one and a half. Same exact number for how many teams out of the SEC you think will be in the college football playoff come the end of this season. I'm taking the under again. I, I, look, the, the, this question is always based off of one scenario being the case. That Georgia ends up in the SEC championship game undefeated. It's the only way this scenario plays out. Alabama is going to go if they win the net, the, the SEC championship, right? Um, and if you're asking Alabama to have a loss, not get to the SEC championship game, and still be considered the best team in the SEC, I don't see it just because of where the rest of the SEC is at this point in time. Again, LSU is not expected to be a high-level team. They're going to be good, um, but they have a quarterback competition, and they've been flip-flopping back and forth. I think they'll score, but they're not in the same category as Alabama. Jimbo Fisher could present some problems, but until I see Jimbo get over the hump, Alabama's got a clear head over the rest of the SEC West. So the only scenario that exists where two SEC teams make it is Georgia goes to the SEC championship game undefeated as does Alabama and defeats Alabama and then Alabama and Georgia get in 
But I would argue, too, that this year of all years, there's a reason to start looking at other teams to put them in. If USC makes some noise uh, and wins the Pac-12 as a one-loss team, they'll probably get the nod to get in. I mean, it's just they are looking to continually provide a diversity to the college football playoff before they expand this thing and give people reason to believe that everybody's got a shot to win the national title. I just don't like the the position that you're putting it in. You're really relying on one thing to happen with that that situation. So I'll take the under one and a half SEC teams. I'm going to continue with the game. We're going to talk about transitioning to the NFL. The quarterback for the Patriots, Mac Jones, coming over from Alabama, going from Nick Saban's system to Bill Belichick's system, two of the closest friends between head coaches in football. How do you, when do you see Mac Jones playing at the NFL starting week one, Mark? Where would you set the line? Oh, I don't think he plays at all this year, barring an injury. I think Bill Belichick is 100% committed to Cam Newton. Uh, I think Bill Belichick is a guy who, short of an injury, again, when he says Cam's going to start, I believe that he's going to ride him. Look, Cam says he's healthy for the first time in several years since he hurt his shoulder and he's ready to go. I think you get the Cam Newton that we haven't seen in a while. And that's the running Cam Newton, the guy who's going to be, if you're into the fantasy football thing, a great fantasy quarterback because he's going to be able to run for touchdowns and throw for him. Belichick is pretty committed to this whole thing. And look what he's done with other quarterbacks. I mean, as ready as Jimmy Garoppolo was, and again, I, I understand it's Tom Brady, so it's a little bit different, but Garoppolo was never going to sniff the field, and, and Belichick had no reason to make him sniff the field until Brady physically wasn't there to go. Um, and it was the same thing with Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett was never going to sniff the field behind Garoppolo until Garoppolo got hurt. And so, you know, I, I think Belichick is a very regimented coach and has a pecking order for these things. Uh, he's going to scheme for Cam Newton. He's going to play for Cam Newton. Josh McDaniels is going to do the same thing. Short of an injury, I don't. I would take Mac Jones not playing at all in 2021. Mm. So the 17 and a half, and we're taking the over. I like it. So, Mark, back to the yeah. SEC quickly here. Texas A&M is ranked sixth in the AP preseason poll. Only one national champion in the past nine years has come out of being ranked in the top six to begin the season. You touched on the Aggies briefly. You need to see it from Jimbo Fisher before you can believe it. But at 40-1 to 1 right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, do you think Texas A&M presents any value in the national championship market? No. I mean, it's such a long-shot number uh, that it, it's – look, if you want to throw 100 bucks on it for a goof, why not? You know, you could be sitting there in January smiling, uh, hoping that things bounce your way. But it requires them not only to beat Alabama head-to-head, but then to go ahead and beat Georgia uh, in the SEC championship game. That's just too tall of an order for that team to do. Jimbo Fisher has closed the recruiting gap with Alabama. I don't think that's really the question. But has he closed the coaching gap with Alabama? That's really what it boils down to. And and at the end of the day, I don't doubt Jim, Jimbo Fisher's ability to put an offense up there that can score 30 points against Alabama, maybe even 40. But I don't know that they have the defense that can, can withstand uh, the gauntlet of the SEC at this point in time. That's what really starts to scare me about this team uh, and, and their propensity to dump a game that they shouldn't. Because, uh, again, the, the Ole Miss-Texas um, um, A&M game, even though it's later in the year, it's like that's a game I'm sort of salivating at looking at, um, thinking that the the, the, the under, over-under might be a lower-than-60-type than number and watch Ole Miss just, just score on them relentlessly. I, I worry about – the A&M defense more than anything as far as their ability to get to the championship. It's just not a bet that I like 
from that standpoint. And plus, as I said, Jimbo Fisher has got to prove to everybody that he's able to get over the hump of Nick Saban, and he hasn't yet. Mark Zeno, catch him all over Sports Grid, breaking down college football, especially here on the show. We'll be talking SEC a lot as we get closer and into the football season. Mark, thanks for coming on with us, and good luck to any bets that you've got going on for the rest of the week. Ariel Ben, thanks as always. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time for our best bets of the day. Let's get to to bet to us part. Same game action tonight for Ben and I. I am going with the under for tonight's NFL preseason game between the Patriots and the Eagles. This total's dropped by the hook, which doesn't really matter. However, the Patriots are a very defensively focused team. They also rely on keeping games low scoring so that they could just ground and pound and run the clock out. That's what I could see this Patriots team doing tonight. Also, you look to what happened in their first preseason game. The Patriots only led 15-7 in the game against Washington with just under two minutes to play. The Eagles did lose last week 24-16 to the Steelers, so they only put up 16 points last week. I'm going to say that this game stays under the total of 38 tonight. Ben, what do you got? So I'm going with the same game. As you know, I'm on a preseason hot streak. We ride it again into week number two. The spread has also worked against the Pats. They opened up as a two and a half point road favorite. Now down to one and a half in the money line. Also 10 cents of decrease from minus 135 to minus 125. So I was debating, how do I want to get in on this game? We're taking New England on the money line because I think minus 125 is not a bad price to pay. As I handicap NFL preseason games, I look to the quarterback, quarterback depth chart and the quarterback battles we will see. We know we will see Cam Newton for a decent amount tonight and then a ton of Mac Jones. I think we can expect to see a decent amount of Jalen Hurts as well. Yes, Joe Flacco is elite and he is their backup, but I give the edge to the Pats who have a better defense for their starters in there for a longer time. I like New England on the money line minus 125 tonight against the Eagles. Thursday night football, only one game. Then we get a couple of more games tomorrow. We'll make sure to break all those down for you here on the morning after on a football Friday. Thanks for joining us here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time, we'll be here to get you ready for the weekend. Continue to build that bankroll. Maybe get you in some futures bets as we are just about a week away from the football season. And I mean college football, of course. Stay on the grid. Great coverage for everything. Remember.